My name is Jerry. I'm an overeater. Since my strokes, I've had trouble with my speech. So I've resorted to reading what I wrote. And this is not great either. (laughs) I'm speaking today mainly towards the newcomers and any of you who are struggling. Since my early 20s, I had a problem keeping my weight under control. An addiction exists when a person needs to use a substance to already always alleviate their anxiety constantly in order to get through the day. Whether it be food, drugs, sex, alcohol, gambling, whatever. I hit on a very effective but temporary solution. Engaging in or ingesting a substance that altered my mood I became dependent on this quick solution rather than experiencing and integrating life's difficult challenge. As a consequence, I never fully matured. During my college days, I began to lose my belief in God, but I felt I was very spiritual. I thought because I didn't have a higher power to lean on that I was superior to others. I continued with food diets. I did the great food diet. I tried exercise and low calories behavioral techniques, psychotherapy. I took different colored pills from a diet doctor only to become blind for 16 or 17 hours one time. Tried other diet doctors, acupuncture in my ear, hypnosis. My weight kept yo-yoing until it just yowed. (laughs) I failed at all of these attempts. Once an acquaintance mentioned OA and I had promptly dismissed that thought, but somehow I managed to remember OA and I called for the meeting schedule. One Wednesday, once to, I'm sorry, one Tuesday, I went to my first OA meeting. No one showed up. <laughs> I was angry. There was a dim light on the card table. There was an old book. That Tuesday night, I took home the big book and justified my action by feeling deprived of my precious time. So much for spiritualism. (laughs) 
I found out that I was one and a half hours early. <laughs> the next night, I came to the 7.30 program on Wednesday night at Palms Park. It was in a wooden structure with 50 to 60 people that had coffee breaks and it was a two-hour meeting. There were people of various weights who were smiling, shaking hands, and hugging. I thought there was a definite catch to it. When the pastor was passed around, I thought it was a money-making scheme. I actually thought there was massive notice. Really. The woman speaker was fascinating and so unbelievably honest. I was memorized. I left stunned. I disliked all the people but couldn't wait till the following Wednesday. I noticed the meeting started with a prayer. I thought these people don't waste a minute pushing the God crap. I did not believe in God. I don't like groups. This meeting starts with a man speaking, describing his binges, eating frozen foods, stealing food, all the things that I did. Most of the people with me were laughing and nodding their heads and acting like it was a long time ago, a different time ago. When I left the meeting, I got into my car with tears in my eyes. I immediately bolted to the nearest McDonald's for a hamburger and fries. I felt like a real loser, always. I always thought I had good control of my life, accepting a little food problem. My weight yo-yoed up to 326 pounds. My days were always planned, predicated on the menu each day. It took me the first seven or eight years in program to realize that I was powerless over knowing when I could stop eating a meal. I started losing weight after I chose a sponsor. Everything seemed terrific, but I still didn't work the program. I gradually started cheating on my food plan. I had forgotten that the, the essence characteristic that was defined me as a compulsive overeater was the loss of the capacity to control my eating behavior and weight. My pink cloud had started to turn gray. I was never good at picking up the phone for help. I was giving in to the impulse toward food rather than calling for OA help. The weight started going up and down again, stopping going to meetings. 
It took almost two years and losing six years of abstinence before I started over in the program and realized that what became for me as a source of temporary relief from uncomfortable feelings had become an essential part of life. The capacity to control my behavior was lost. My life without the temporary relief it provided became unbearable. I was so sad to me giving up those wonderful foods. I used to have sugar at least three times a day. Abstinence is necessary for me, not because of an allergy to sugar, but because when I begin experiencing life without resorting to quick fixes, I'm able to grow psychologically and spiritually. My last sponsor suggested I could have some sugar tomorrow, but could I possibly not have it today? It sounded like a game of semantics, but I tried it. And maybe then I really had a bottom. It gave me a real chance at having a choice. This is why coming to terms with my addiction has to involve spiritual work, the essence of which is the willingness to face rather than avoid pain and suffering. By my working 12 steps, I've had a profound psychic transformation. All I needed was the open-mindedness and willingness to investigate. In step two, some power greater than human, some call God, could relieve a person of the condition called compulsive overeating. This is a matter of excessive or under-eating. By working step two, I believe I'm able to develop a constant, a contact with a power within that's greater than my ego. In step, excuse me, By working step two, I believe I'm able to develop a constant power within. In step three, as are two, the first two, involves an action. Step three involves making a decision. I decide to change the basis on which I've lived. The change comes through working the remaining steps.
I learned after many years of writing forth and ten steps that I was not to find out all the negative aspects of myself. But these habits of mind could lead to unskilled ways of corresponding to my inner and outward self, deeply ingrained attitudes. As long as I would harbor these resentments and revenge fantasies, I always had a trunk full of explosives, ready towards anyone I perceived negatively towards me. And I was ready to look for food to quell the anxiety. I can't change my insides by myself. Only when I recognize my need and willingness to have a spiritual transformations with the help of my higher power. Without this inner transformation, all change for me is destined to fail. Looking back some years later, I began to realize as long as I viewed my habits of mind negatively, they caused more and more pain and guilt and shame. I still always turn to food for temporary relief. Bill W. pointed out that there are equally valid methods of defining character defects. Many AA members did not and would not accept a traditional approach and Bill pointed out that there are equally other valued methods of defining character defects. He wrote, quote, To those having religious training, such a list would set forth serious violations of moral, uh, moral principles. Some others will think of this list as defects of character, and still others will call it an index of maladjudgments, unquote. That's from the 12 and 12, page 48. Later in the 12 and 12, again, the suggestion is made that self-centered fear is the chief activator of our character defects. What we fear is the hurting of our prey, pride and inflated ego. Bill W. put it in the following way, quote, carrot defects representing instincts gone astray have been the primary cause of drinking and failure at life. That unless unless now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of those defects, both sobriety and peace of mind will elude us. That all 
faulty foundation of life will have to torn out and build anew on bedrock. Unquote. I think that many of us have had constant trouble to get rid of our defects. This suffers from trying to split the mind into good and bad. Consequently, people take the code of others, usually authority figures, and keep breaking their abstinence by trying for 100% perfection. I personally know members who are not very overweight or underweight, yet keeping breaking their abstinence. I love that B.W. said carrot defects representing instincts gone astray. Actions are either stillful and helpful or they're not. For me, recovery leads to acceptance and integration all of part of myself. In the Buddhist tradition, character defects are referred to as defilements. Rather than fighting to rid of my seems unacceptable or bad within, I've learned to use the steps to effect transformation of my character defects and integrate these elements into my unconscious. The healing work of the program are a process for becoming a whole. Integrate character defects begin with acceptance, not judgments and self-loathing. In step five, admitted to God or ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. The big book and the 12 and 12 stress the importance of it. After the reading of my fourth step, my sponsor gave me a hug. We stepped out of his car and he lit a fire to my papers. When he was slowly experiencing his end of life, he had such acceptance. I knew his acceptance of our program enabled him to deal with his life. When I faced step six, it took a long time for me to do that short, simple paragraph. I talked to my higher power to gave her remove all my thinking, all my negative personality. I talked with members, and it seemed the majority agreed to simply ask for willingness. I asked for self-forgiveness to expose my character defects, accept my aggressiveness, 
I acknowledge my impatience without judgmental awareness. On step seven, a discussion ended with a prayer. It said we have then completed step seven. In the 12 and 12, there's talk about humility. Step seven required facing unplaced emotions and memories. Humility, for me, is an expression of the capacity to, to to surrender, to heal to a power greater oneself. For a long time, I would confuse humility with deprecation. When I would feel inferior to one, it's an expression. Sharing the fourth inventory with someone. If I'm free of compulsive eating, I can't keep these matters secret. The big book says, you'd be sorry. (laughs) The fourth step, I was talking about the fourth step inventory. Um, in step five, Oh, yes. Thank you. In the 12 and 12, there's talk about humility. Step 7 required facing unpleasant emotions and memories. Humility for me, I read that. I would confuse humility with deprivation. When I feel inferior to anyone, it's I think I never wrote the rest of that. Uh, Sharing fourth-step inventory with someone, if I'm free, compulsive overeating, I cannot keep these matters secret. Step five seemed okay, except... The first part, to God. I had read the five steps by myself and got nowhere. And I realized I didn't believe in God. I also wasn't losing weight. All I was doing was coming to meetings. Clearly, I had to have some belief in a higher power and started to think of a higher power. The first three years, all I did was come to meetings. I sat in the back, never stayed for holding hands. 
my sponsor was a compulsive eater and I came to trust him he readily accepted the book quote quoted I'm sorry I practice humility by power and wisdom of my higher power within this may sound like I'm high, high, high and mighty but I have to trust my higher power and constantly work on my ego by being aware by reading the seven-step prayer and reading spiritual literature. My last six years were horrendous. Stomach growth removed, arthroscopic leg operation, and then I caught a staph infection that caused the leg two operations more to clean out the infection had quickly operated on two, two discs that was squeezing my spine six operations I came home only to find that I needed the same neck operation again there was a screw loose and then I had a stroke and 30 days of hospital and 30 days in rehab and nine months later another stroke and in all that time 23 years I've maintained my 140 pound weight loss and my abstinence of two years now since February I lost more 20 pounds. I really appreciate every, everybody listening to my story. I hope it will help someone. Thank you. Oh, this is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of, of mine are, are my own and not those of Overeaters and I as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the podcast. Hi. Yes. Jerry, thank you so much. Um, what are the tools you've been using the last six 
healthy and all the discomfort of, of, of your life? They cause discomfort, but I, I use all of the teeth, all of them. Um, This discomfort, discomfort does not stop me at all. Um, would you want to put the question a different way? I'll say I have some favorite tools and reading is the most favorite of mine and especially the little red book and I understand that is not an OA tool though it's AA but I, re I read a lot of spiritual book books or articles and um, I'm afraid that I rarely use the phone I always have trouble asking for help even though I do now I hope that answers that My so when I get in physical pain you know life doesn't do it my way I get angry at God and uh, so if, how have you accepted your faith and how do you surrender to a God a loving God while you're going through all this I've learned to do this more than ever since my strokes um I accept it fully. I feel there's no choice, even though I realized I could go back to eating, drinking, anything. Acceptance is, is the word. I used to have a punishing God. I've changed my belief in a God. I never thought I could do that. You helped me with that as my second sponsor. 
I hope that answers it. Julie. Thank you, Jerry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience making amends? Describing how I make amends. My sponsor, my first sponsor said, I notice you're not making us amends. I said, sure I do. And he said, there's one though that I've been waiting for. What? Yeah, five more minutes. Oh. <coughs> anyway, he said, my ex-wife, doesn't she make an amends? I said, yes, I thought about that. <laughs> he, he didn't let me off the hook, though. I wrote a letter. And I was... It, it was a horrible feeling. And I wrote and wrote. He said, Tomorrow morning, I want to see you before work. Bring me the envelope stamped. And I'll watch you seal it and give it to him. And I did. And two or three weeks Later, I got a letter from my ex-wife saying, I, I forgave you years ago. I couldn't believe it. Arlene. Can you describe the concept of your higher power today? It was very involved. I thought I'd never, ever... Think it. I think of it as an oblong inside my brain, and my healthy ego is serving that, and it really works for me all the time. Thank you. A long, long time. <laughs> I still crave um, the nuts from Hawaii <laughs> and cashew nuts. I can eat everything except those two things, including sugar. I eat it like a normal person. Like I eat like a gentleman, if you know what I mean. In AA, there are some people that can drink like a gentleman. 
Anyone else? Thank you very much. Oh. So what does step three look like to you? When you say you your higher power is in your head, what does it mean for you to do a step three? I can't really hear you. What does it mean to do a step three with your higher power? Step three. When you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to God, what does that look like? What does it look like? Um, Using your higher power, what does that look like? Who do you turn it over to? My ruler. I have to. There's no ifs or ands. I have to do what my higher power does. I have to ask my higher power questions all the time. I have to make sure that my ego is responsible, not overinflated or underinflated. That's my ego s- serves my higher power. <laughs>